This is a very good day for us as we anticipate ordaining a number of men, commissioning our officers in our church here, all except for Jonathan, who's not here. We will look to do that next week for him. It is always a wonder to me as I consider what it is that it takes for the Lord's sovereign care to set in motion the means by which every individual that's called to Him will yet be saved. It may be something that we, we overlook. We, while it does seem that the normal means by which an individual is drawn into the kingdom savingly is uh, often through parents. Uh, and we may wonder, well, how did the parents come to faith in Christ? How, how did the one who told me about Christ, how did, how did they learn of the Lord? And when you look uh, in the past, perhaps generationally, you see the way the Lord's worked in a very mysterious way. And also you see, uh, when you look at the sweep of historical account in the Scriptures, we can look all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and see that all this time the Lord is working His plan that He has had from the very beginning. That uh, we see that He is setting in motion individual, a monarchy even, and so forth in Israel as this physical representation of that spiritual reality that His people would ultimately enjoy. And we have nothing less than that uh, in the book of Acts here in Acts chapter 20. What we have is the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. He has traveled a bit. He spent the previous two years to this passage in the city of Ephesus, and he stayed in Ephesus until he was run out of town. Uh, He then went on to Macedonia, spent some time in Greece, uh, also uh, had some difficulty there as he proclaimed the gospel. Uh, We might look, uh, for instance, in Acts chapter 19 here, just previous to Acts 20, and you might wonder if uh, if, the, if there's any history to this idea that the gospel, uh, in fact, impacts commerce, uh, the making of things, the commercial aspects of our nation, and uh, you should look no further than Acts chapter 19 to see that apparently the Apostle Paul's preaching made quite a stir among the artisans that were creating these, shine, these shrines for Artemis. And so you see that because of this, he was run out of town, uh, he gets on a ship, he And uh, from Miletus here in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we see that he calls the elders of the church at Ephesus to him. 30 or 40 miles. Now the Apostle Paul uh, was an apostle. Uh, Certainly what he presents to us as he talks to the elders and exhorts the elders, it seemed fitting as we look to Uh, ordain and commission the elders of our church and also the deacons of our church that certainly will assist the elders in this body of ministry that God has given to us. It seemed fitting that we would look at what the Apostle Paul says to those elders at Ephesus. Elders and churches that he had spent two years with investing himself in the Word of God. Investing himself uh, in what would be uh, a faithful encampment, if you will, a faithful, a faithful outpost that likely was the springboard for other churches in Ephesus. And he called those men to himself, likely men that he had a large impact in their own redemption. 
He saw them grow in faith and he also was well aware of the concerns that they would face as they were there. And so what we have in this narrative in Acts chapter 20 is for us and for God's men here as leaders, for us in exhortation, not only for the leaders but also for the church, for us as individuals. You may wonder, why is the, why, why is the elder asking me these questions? Why is he concerned about the way our family worship goes? Why is, he, why is he wondering if I know the Westminster Shorter Catechism number 3 and its answer? Why is he asking me these things about my future plans? Why is he concerned about what's being taught in Sunday school? Why is he wondered about that? Well, those questions are answered here in Acts chapter 20, as we see the narrative in the Apostle Paul exhorting the elders. Now, 30 or 40 miles is not necessarily an easy thing for us today. But they walked to see Paul, to hear some of his last words uh, as we look here. And so I'd like to draw your attention to to this narrative here in Acts chapter 20. So beginning in verse 17 here, as I said, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus. And in verse 18, he says, You yourselves know that I lived among you the whole time. So I draw your attention to this idea of the context of ministry. The context of ministry. What it is, what is it uh, that Paul did, and what was the context that he did that in? Now, how many of us have said, well, you know, I sure wish that I could... Uh, I could do this thing or pursue this uh, venture of education or build this building or enter into this project. I sure wish that I could do that without bad weather or without difficulty getting materials or without the need for help or, or so forth. You would, you would love to have perfect conditions. When you might say, well, uh, on a better day, I'll trust the Lord, or I'll invest myself in learning the Scriptures, or I will memorize this certain passage on a better day when I don't have so much to do. Well, we recognize when we went through the, the little letter of First Peter that the context of our lives and certainly the broader context of the ministry that the Apostle Paul had in Ephesus was one of grave difficulty. I mean, he ended his ministry there only because he was run out of town. And so we see that uh, Paul uh, likely never imagined the possibility where he would have an easy day. And he's setting us on notice as well here. Don't expect an easy day. I'm not the God of easy days. But he has set before us days that are demanding and difficult. A task that is absolutely impossible without being in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And having his resources available to us. Him working through us. The Apostle Paul shows us here the context of ministry. Transparent, continual presence. House to house in public. The Apostle Paul wasn't aloof. He shared the same conditions, the same challenges, the same dangers. He didn't check out when it got hard. When missionaries or pastors leave home and church because of danger or difficulty... Recovery from that abandonment is very difficult, if not impossible, in that generation. There's no safe, relational, or spiritually useful alternative for physical presence. 
There is no safe, relational, or spiritually useful alternative for physical presence. Yeah, you can always write or call. And this must occur between true Christians, but it doesn't amount to the comprehensive, personal, relational fellowship in the trenches of life that Paul's referring to here. Now here's the reality. It is possible. It is possible that we have never experienced that before. But this is a normal pastor. <laughs> this is Paul is Paul is is speaking to those who are normal elders in the church. This is this is what he sets before them to do. This is the context of your ministry. We could think back, for instance, to World War I. Most of the belligerent countries in World War I all had chaplains. And it was the policy of those nations that those chaplains were back behind the combat zones. And what could have resulted in a tremendous revival in World War I actually ended in widespread atheistic marginalization of Christianity and God. And those charged by God to minister spent their days in words and useless, irrelevant blather, leaving the impression that Christianity was anemic and disconnected from the hard realities of life. Now you look at the history of Europe, and while there certainly are a number of very important uh, contributors to the spiritual anemia in Europe right now, make no mistake... The fact that it seemed that the chaplains and the ministers of that day had nothing to say about the demands of a war wreaked havoc on the spiritual truth of the day. Europe never recovered from this. It's been in spiritual decline ever since. Again, what do the Scriptures say? Where is God's minister? What's the context of ministry? With you. With you. Out in the field, out working, in your home, in the context of the church, and so forth. Humility, tears, and trials. The Apostle Paul speaks to us here in verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the the Jews. They knew Paul. They saw him weep. They uh, stopped by his tent-making shop, no doubt, and saw him at work. He said, you know these hands, how they worked. You understand that. They saw Paul in difficulty, in joy, in trial, in triumph. They saw Paul because he was with them all the time. We also see here the context of ministry involves public teaching as well as teaching from house to house. Verse 20 says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. There's far more to ministry than a public sermon each Lord's Day. There's an unapologetic aspect of intrusive leadership that Paul's referring to here. Paul isn't claiming here the ministerial privilege of being an annoying busybody, but the responsibility to check on and assist individuals and families in making real, quantifiable spiritual gains for the glory of God, for believers to have growing assurance in their faith, and for unbelievers to be drawn lovingly into the family of God. Richard Baxter is a great model for us here. He's the one that wrote The Reformed Pastor. Richard Baxter lived between 1615 and 1691. 
And his ministry at Kittermaster was really a model for all to follow. And the primary aspect of this book, so nobly named the Reformed Pastor, primarily was about his house-to-house ministry. It was, about the, it was about the way that he involved himself in the individuals and families in the church that he was a part of. And so we see again that this is, this is normal ministry. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. This is the context of ministry. We see Paul for who he is. He's a real man. He's a real man with real emotions. He's a real man. What's he doing? He's studying. What's he doing? He's making tents. What's he doing? He's going house to house. What's, what's he doing now? He's praying. What's he doing? He's leading others. The Apostle Paul. The context of ministry. Now let's look here secondly at the confidence of ministry. The confidence of ministry. Verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I did not shrink. The truths of God should be brought to bear on each person. Taking into account their own spiritual state, their station in life, their unique challenges. If the proclamation of the Word of God is continually less than the full counsel of God, particularly limited because of its concern over its acceptability, this certainly could not fall into the example Paul sets here for gospel ministers. I did not shrink. What is he talking about? What is the Apostle Paul talking about? This idea of not shrinking, bringing the whole counsel of God... Right? And those things that are profitable. Well, here's what Paul knew. And here's what we know. Those of us who have heard the Word of God read, we've heard it proclaimed. We know this. Sometimes the truths of God offend us. Sometimes we're uncomfortable with what it is we hear. Sometimes we really do feel like the, the pastor, the one, who is, the one who is proclaiming the Word of God, we feel like he's been reading our mail. We feel like he's been listening in on our prayers. We feel like he has special insight into our hearts. The Apostle Paul here is not speaking to prophets, if you will, or those who know what's in the heart of man in particular. The Apostle Paul is again speaking to those who would simply minister in a local church. Realizing that the Word of God is active and living. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is the idea. This is certainly in the mind of the Apostle Paul as he thinks about this idea. I didn't shrink. I didn't, I didn't take my own reputation into account. I desired that you would understand an active knowledge of the truths of God rather than my own reputation or somehow feeling like you think I'm a nice guy. This is the confidence of ministry. The Apostle Paul understood that the truths of God, and we, we see what the Apostle Paul, and we've heard what he said, we've looked over the passages in First and Second Timothy and Titus, how the Apostle Paul says, in the presence of God, I charge you with these things. No doubt that was in his mind as he spoke to these elders from Ephesus. Confidence in ministry. The market-driven philosophy of the 80s became institutionalized in the seminaries. 
Foolishly taken in, many who have now rightly rejected this model still hold on to certain aspects of it. Metering out the hard truths of God in small disguised doses so as not to upset the flock. It's the same thing. It's yet market-driven. It's this idea that the gospel is a product. And the Word of God and the proclamation of the Word of God is a product that I can shape in any way that I should so that you will find it acceptable and be sort of swept into the kingdom unawares. Like you're following a little trail of candy, sort of like Winnie the Pooh. That's not the idea that Paul's getting at here. That's not the confidence in ministry, right? It's a perversion of ministry to think that I should be more concerned with the sense of well-being of the flock rather than the well-being of the flock. The two are not the same. One is theater. The other is truth. The sense of well-being as opposed to the well-being of the flock. One is theater. The other is truth. This is the confidence of ministry. The Apostle Paul proclaimed boldly, just as the soldiers of old went into battle, confident that the Lord was with them. The Apostle Paul proclaimed the Word of God. He exhorts elders to do the same. And he exhorts them and encourages them to expect for Almighty God to work in the midst of the proclamation. That's the confidence of ministry. Thirdly, I draw your attention to the content of ministry. The content of ministry, chapter 20, we're here again in verse 20 and 21 and also 27. 20, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God the breadth and depth of what it is that God has said. What has God said about this and that? What does He have to say about our cultural milieu? What does He have to say about relationships, about husbands and wives, about nations that are led by fools? What does God have to say about that? He has much to say about that. And He has much that we need to hear about that. And so we can be thankful that the whole counsel of God is a whole counsel for the whole man, the whole woman, the whole boy, the whole girl. And that's the idea that the Apostle Paul is getting at, the content of ministry. Some of you may be familiar with J.I. Packer's most famous book, Knowing God. In that book, he introduces the book with this idea that there really, in a sense, is two kinds of theology. There's theology for, for balconeers, and there's a theology for travelers. The balconeer, what is a balconeer? Well, he's a guy that's sitting down. He's not going anywhere. He watches travelers go by and may converse with them about their travels, where they've been and where they're going. He may be very interested and may pick up a lot of information about all sorts of things. But he's a balconeer. He isn't traveling. He doesn't make decisions that are urgent. He doesn't come to forks in the road. He's going nowhere. The Apostle Paul is speaking about the content of ministry, and this content of ministry is a proclamation of the Word of God for travelers. You see, as Bunyan, Bunyan had it right. He, he rightly described the Christian as one who's on the move. 
We're on a path. We're walking, as it were, with God to heaven day by day. We have decisions that are made. We, we enter into danger every day. We're, we're encumbered by the chains of our own sin, the wiles of the devil, and the entrapment and the allurement of a sinful world. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. The whole counsel of God. The content of ministry. Anything that is profitable. Travelers, decision-making, consequential, life and death, blood, sweat, and tears. They know. They know. They understand. And the Apostle Paul is exhorting those elders to understand. This is where the flock is. This is where your people are. They must hear this from the Word of God. And they must hear it from you. There's a great urgency. When we leave the proclamation of the Word of God and we leave the fellowship of a Lord's Day, we should recognize that this is something that I must have. I must have this. I can't do without it. Why is that? Well, because that's the way God has made you. God has made you such that you cannot be complete without the proclamation of His Word, without the fellowship of the saints, without soul and body being nourished. Week by week and day by day. This is the Apostle Paul's content of ministry. Now I draw your attention to the careless courage of ministry in verses 22 through 25. The careless courage of ministry. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 22 except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. The Apostle Paul's careless courage of ministry. Well, what do I mean by careless? Well, what I mean is this. The Apostle Paul was persuaded and drawn to a God who was powerful, but not safe. Not safe. Our risk-averse society knows nothing of careless courage. We're scared of our own shadows. Look at, our, look at our previous few years. You can see where, what the state of the individual is in our own nation. Careless courage. The Apostle Paul understood what it was that God was calling him to. He cared nothing about what would happen because of his faithfulness. Recognizing imprisonment and death await me. The Apostle Paul says here, not knowing. Paul's apostolic gifts did not include knowing the future. Our God has chosen not to reveal much about the future. He has determined this is best. Now, why is it important that the Apostle Paul commends this careless courage? Well, let me tell you at least one reason why. Because we as humans, we're inclined to match our efforts with the expected outcome. We're inclined to match our efforts with the expected difficulty. Do you kind of expect this not to work? Then is it not true that you kind of don't really work very well? Right? And so the Apostle Paul is drawing our attention to this idea. This is why it's so important that we have careless courage. 
That is, we wash our hands of trying to prophesy about how God's going to work in our own faithfulness. He hasn't called us to that. He's not asking us about that. He's telling us that, yes, the way is likely dangerous. Here's your marching orders. Go forth and be faithful. We're very reluctant to commit to uncertainty. But you see, all isn't uncertain. Because again, we have a God of means, a sovereign God, who has called us to live out His truth and to expect that He will work mightily in them. He's a model for us here. He didn't back off his eager devotion and active expressions of ministry for anything. Faithfulness is not measured or metered based on knowledge of the future. It's based on what God has said to do in the present. Yet Paul's experience did incline him to understand something about the future. His faithfulness would not bring worldly success, but imprisonment and afflictions. I would draw your attention to chapter 21, verse 11. The prophet Agabus took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping? And breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Friends, Agabus wasn't a false prophet. Agabus was speaking the truth, and the apostles Paul said, What? What are you doing? Are you breaking my heart here? I am following the Lord, and I'm going to Jerusalem. And so be, whatever will be will be for me and what it is that God has done. Popular evangelicalism is notoriously anemic and risk-averse. Paul knew nothing of this brand of faithfulness. He says here, If only I may finish my course. Paul is a man who decided every day to follow Jesus through thick and thin. Verse 25, Behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. The careless courage of ministry. And lastly, I draw your attention to the commendation of ministry in verse 32. The Apostle Paul, speaking to these elders, Now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. The commendation of ministry isn't about commending Paul. It isn't about commending those who would be elders among us. It's about commending people to the word of God. The question for us is, do I commend people to our God? Do you commend people to our God? The God of heaven and earth, the God who is the only God, the God who is Savior and friend, the God you must know savingly through His Son, the Lord Jesus, the God who alone is worthy of reverent worship by His creatures, the God who will surely bring judgment to those who turn away from Him, the God who will receive all who come to Him in faith. I commend you to God. And that's what the Apostle Paul exhorted the elders to do there.
among him. Let us pray.